ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. Chief Minister Eva Lawler has just delivered the government's year ahead speech vowing to fight for her government's plans to build an industrial precinct at Middle Arm near Darwin. I will go into bat for this project because Middle Arm means too much to the Territory for anyone to stand in its way. I'll share other details of the Chief's speech with you in just a moment. And tell me, did you watch Mustard Dogs last night on the ABC? Zoe Miller from the Territory and her dog Buddy, they took out the top prize. My hope is more and more people want to go out and learn to work stock with dogs and be kind to their animals and continue their love for them. That's that's what we're about in the rural industry. Yeah, you'll hear more from Zoe before 1.30. And tell me, is it raining at your place this afternoon? If it's absolutely bucketing down, let the rest of the Territory know. Our text number is 0487 991057. Some of the rainfall totals up to 9 o'clock this morning include 165 millimetres at the Darwin Airport. 111 recorded at Coolibar Cattle Station in the VRD. East Baines Rivers reported 155. Big rain. More to come as well. We'll be speaking to the Weather Bureau at 5 past 1. There is a bit going on. As I said, if it's pouring down at your place or maybe you're aware of a road closure, let the rest of us know. That text number 0487991057. We start today's Country Hour with some intriguing property news. Two NT cattle stations, which were sold 16 months ago, are now back up for sale again with their carbon farming potential as the main selling point. So in late 2022, Maryfield and Limbunya stations were bought by investor Sam Mitchell. He bought the land and AAM Investment bought all of the cattle and entered into a lease arrangement to run them, a deal understood to be worth around $175 million. But now, after setting up a number of carbon credit schemes on those properties... Sam Mitchell has put them up for sale again in what's understood to be the largest offering of its kind. Danny Thomas from Lord is one of the agents running the sale. What the proponents here did was buy a cattle station, a typical cattle station. When you sort of say back on the market, I'd say that what's being put to the market is quite different to what was purchased. So um, there was certainly land and cattle purchased before. It's a matter of public record. That Wealth Check bought the the um, the land, and uh, AAM stepped into the cattle, and they've got a long term lease over both of those properties. Um, but what's been taken back to the market now is is prospectively that land subject to the lease with AAM, as well as um, approved carbon projects on both sites. And tell us about those two carbon projects. Uh, is that going to be the main draw card for potential buyers of the land? Oh, that's what we're going to test. So we're we're pioneering. I don't, I'm not aware, unless one of your listeners are, I'm not aware of something of this magnitude being put to the market in this way before. What you tend to find is that 
some of those carbon deals are done you know surreptitiously or off market or secretively what we're looking for here is for an investor to come in and there's sort of three options really um there's four million six hundred accus over the crediting period on Merrifield, there's five million eight hundred thousand accus in the crediting period on Limbunya. Um, we can deal with those collectively or separately. We're looking for someone to come and and step into a being investor in that carbon project, or prospectively, an investor just in the land, or prospectively, you know, to do a takeout of a hundred percent of either or both properties. So we're really going to explore who's in the market, um, who's in a position to take a stake in uh, one or both of those projects and this is really just about capital management for the investor and those 10.4 million carbon credits they're generated over a long period of time 25 years or so where does that fit on the scale of projects that are around australia at the moment uh, i don't think it's unique um yeah there are some large-scale projects uh being approved but it's certainly rare for scale the methodology that's being used you know, is an older methodology. Uh, that probably creates some rarity as well. I don't think you'll be able to – I don't think you'll see something else where they'll, they'll do precisely this sort of method necessarily again of the numerous methods that there are to create accus. And this is the human-induced regeneration, correct? Correct. Yeah, that's right. And, so, and what does that involve? Uh, it's really setting aside land, so either lightening the grazing burden or removing grazing altogether – prospectively fencing land off, controlling pests and vermin uh, or reducing or ceasing uh, active cultivation of the land. They're all the things that you can do under human-induced regeneration to to let it grow again. So does that reduce the ability to run cattle on, on part of the land of Maryfield in Lombania? Yeah, it can reduce the carrying capacities and the, and the lease deals with that um, that outcome. In terms of the lease, AAM, they'll they'll stay on as uh, as managing the cattle and pastoral side of the, these properties. Yeah, the land's being sold, encumbered by the existing leasing arrangements. Yeah. So, uh, who are you marketing this property to? Who is a likely buyer of the carbon side of things? Uh, it's going to the world, I think. As we sort of approach twenty thirty as the first hurdle, there'll be a whole lot of big emitters who'll be thinking about how they deal with what their future liability is. And so, you know, the, what, a, what a people immediately go to are sort of oil and gas companies, you know, miners, those sorts of things. But the market's certainly not limited to those guys. You know, there are large real estate groups who are concerned about their carbon footprint, you know, who will be familiar with being able to, you know, invest in land, if you like. Um, so I'm expecting to see some interest from them. Um, and then there's sort of third-party traders of accus. We might see... Some of those guys come in as well. Indeed, you know, we might not have anyone come for the carbon necessarily. We might have groups of people who are looking for passive income that are just happy to come in and buy the land. So I think the investment landscape and the and the number of buyers could be much, much broader than what we normally anticipate for a territory or for a couple of territory cattle stations. How much are these properties being potentially marketed for? Uh, I think the original land value on these purchases was something around the $100 million for both, sort of 40 and 60 respectively. I'd expect a, a recovery of that value for the land only. And then it's a matter of what somebody sees as the present value um, for the benefit of the future accus during that creating period. So there's been some mathematics done around that based on, you know, what's got a face value today's 
today's value of, say, $400 million for 10 million-plus ACUs. But, you know, those ACUs aren't there yet. They're created over the creating period. So it'll be the sum of money that somebody pays to step into those today for the benefit of receiving them in the future. But it'll still be many tens of millions of dollars. Yep, and for our audience, those 10 million carbon credits, they're not guaranteed. They have to be generated over that 25-year period or so. They've got to be created, yeah. So there's a the, the government you know, administers this fairly assiduously. Um, they've got a, a model that I think they call a full cam model, which basically has a growth curve, which then is audited over time to make sure that the vegetation's actually grown and the carbon's been created. As you're saying, this is a bit of a test case in terms of a property being sold expressly for its carbon potential. What do you think the future of that is? Um, uh, do you think you'll see more of that come on? Uh, look, I think so. Um, you know, there's guys that are smarter than me around, you know. Uh, the proponent here is one of them. I heard Guy Hands talk at a presentation recently. He's the owner of CPC, thinking that Australia could prospectively be the lungs of the world. You know, there are obviously guys that have a, a very focused lens on um, what role Australia can play globally uh, in carbon markets and, you know, what our own carbon market is. There's a whole lot of public policy around all of this stuff. And I think any time you see that, you see opportunities to create new value uh, and new money coming into our sector. So I would say that this could be the beginning of a wave of new investment into uh, agricultural land where people see it as a way to deal with carbon. That's Danny Thomas from Lord speaking to Dan Fitzgerald. I told you this was an intriguing property deal. So it's estimated that Maryfield could generate 4.6 million Australian carbon credit units over a 25-year crediting period, and Limbanya is forecast to generate 5.8 million ACUs over that same time frame. Could we see famous Northern Territory cattle stations getting bought by some of the big resources companies of the world? Our text number is 0487 Someone here says you can't eat carbon credits. Why are the elites trying to starve humanity? Says someone here on the text. Merrifield and Limbanya back on the market. My name is James Gorry from Trainsafe NT. Just before you drive out bush, just do a quick inspection under your car or under the bonnet. So just keeping vehicles clean so we're not spreading biohazards, soil diseases or weeds. And enjoy listening to the Country Hour. It is 19 to 1. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. And some news has just come in from the West regarding that live export vessel, the MV Bahaja. The news is the remaining 16,000 sheep and cattle on board that vessel will start to be offloaded this afternoon. There you go. So a few cattle were taken off late last week, but everything else will be unloaded as of this afternoon. This is the ship that at the start of the year was on its way to the Middle East, was ordered to turn around and come back because of safety concerns there in the Red Sea. And the livestock have been on board for over a month now. Last week, you might remember the story about the Department of Ag rejecting an application to re-export them all. And now they're about to come off the ship, hey? Jeff Pearson, he's the president of the WA Farmers Livestock Section and says 
The sheep and the cattle will be going straight into quarantine. So the, both uh, consignments of livestock will return back to their registered establishment, the quarantine uh, areas that they come from. So basically the department have ticked off on and approved the uh, registered establishment uh, quarantine process. So uh, they'll return there as soon as we can. And they're just isolated from any other livestock? Yeah, so basically they go under a strict biosecurity protocol where they have no uh, physical or nose-to-nose um, interaction with any other livestock. So uh, there will be other livestock in the surrounding areas, but not, not within you know, some, some you know, 20, 30 metre radius. And what condition are the, the sheep and the cattle in? Have, are you aware of that? Uh, yeah, look, we've uh, obviously got to go through the, you know, the, the reissuing of the permit to protocol them back on. So under that protocol program, we have to weigh the livestock. So my um, guess is the fact that these animals have been on feed um, you know, for 30-odd days. You know, the, the cattle can do up to two kilos a day, uh, the sheep up, uh, up to a half a kilo a day. So you know, we're going to see some, some pretty serious uh, weight gains with these animals and it, and it might uh, not able us to be able to re-export some of the livestock for this consignment because of the fact that they've actually done too well and, and put on too much condition. And do the sheep need to be shorn again? Yeah, so obviously through the protocol, through uh, able to, to shipping sheep, you've got to have a, a certain wool length. So we've also got the issue of the sheep not only putting on too much weight, but also growing too much wool. So we're probably in a situation where we're going to have to shear some of these sheep as well. And who bears all the costs of all of these logistics, you know, right up until the point of the shearing? Uh, still back to the exporter. So the, you know, the animals are owned by the exporter, an Israeli company. So uh, they're wearing the cost all the way through. The plan at this stage, Jeff, is it still to re-export the, the livestock, the sheep and the cattle? As it stands, that this consignment of livestock now is, is and now going to have to be issued under a new licence or a new permit. So this voyage is finished, ended once it's disembarked. So uh, it, it'll go through the protocols of, of re-export under the conditions. Right. And there's been no communication with any of the meatworks to you know have a plan B in place if... The, the re-exporting uh, well that, doesn't take place? That, that sort of discussion has been happening from time to time. There, there hasn't been any direct engagement with any of the processes because the in, intent is to, is to re-export. So, um, you know, once, once we get into the situation of re-export, if, you know, if we hit those stumbling blocks, well, then we'll, we'll look at locally processing. But at this stage, it's not... not uh, Jeff Pearson from the WA Farmers Association speaking to Belinda Varischetti just a short time ago. So the cattle, the sheep, they're coming off this afternoon. It's a quarter to one and you are tuned into the Country Hour. What does 2024 have in store for the Northern Territory? Well, the Chief Minister, Eva Lawler, has just delivered the government's year ahead speech. The year ahead. According to the Chief Minister, I'll share some of the highlights of that speech with you next. My name's Brett Gill. Uh, my wife Suzanne and I farm and have cattle on Mullalungui in the Douglas Daly area, the top end. You're listening to the Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. If it's raining at your place, let the rest of us know because it is starting to get very wet out there and the Bureau has just issued an initial flood watch for parts of northwest coastal rivers and the Waterhouse River from tomorrow. So this initial watch, it says the monsoon trough 
is strengthening across the top end this week, causing rain, showers and thunderstorms to increase. A tropical low is also expected to form within the trough and move eastward towards the Gulf of Carpentaria midweek. Daily rainfall totals of 40 to 80 millimetres over the flood watch area are expected, with the highest falls likely about the western and northwestern coasts, where falls of over 120 millimetres are possible. Isolated heavy falls to 100 mils are also possible with slow-moving thunderstorms further inland. So that's an initial flood watch that's just been issued by the Bureau. We'll be speaking to the duty forecaster at five past one to get some more details. And as always, if you've got a question for the Bureau, send it through on that text line 0487 991057. Chief Minister Eva Lawler has just delivered the government's annual Year Ahead speech. As a former teacher, the Chief talked about the need for Territory schools to get students ready for work and ready for jobs in the Northern Territory. She said there were some big projects on the horizon, like the industrial precinct at Middle Arm, and she wants Territorians filling those job opportunities. We are going to need 20,000 more people at the Middle Arm Sustainable Development Precinct. Defence is looking for many thousands as well to join them. On-site construction of the shiplift will commence upon final development and approvals being received early this year. That marks the start of an exciting new maritime industry. I don't want to give those jobs away to FIFOs. I want our people stepping up. We have the people right here. We need to train and develop Territorians for those jobs. Territory Labor has built four steam centres and the fifth is on its way. That's great for preparing our kids to be part of the future technical workforce. But all our schools need to be educating our kids for work. That is the mindset we need to foster. We need to prepare our kids for pathways to work. Jobs are one thing, but I want to talk about work. You can't get a job unless you have a mentality geared towards work. And too many generations of Territorians are not working. And when that happens, some people resort to crime. That's Chief Minister Eva Lawler, who has delivered the government's annual Year Ahead speech. During that speech, she announced that the government was extending the Casuarina Coastal Reserve by an extra 34 hectares and said it would now have the potential to become a national park. She went on to talk about the opportunities for the NT's resources sector and outlined a number of major projects that are set to come online. The Santos $6 billion Barossa LNG project will support huge private sector investment in the Territory. I've given major project status to Total Erin, now known as TEH2, which plans to use solar energy to produce more than 80,000 tonnes of renewable-based green hydrogen each year for both domestic use and export. Avenira has also been awarded major project status and this year will commence direct shipping of phosphate oil from its Wanayara project in the Barclay. Tenant Consolidated Mining will commence its $94 million project with 160 workers once fully operational. And I will make sure I appear before the Senate inquiry into Middle Arm in April. I will go into bat for this project because middle arm means too much to the Territory for anyone to stand in its way. Middle arm is a sustainable development precinct that provides certainty for investment 
and safeguards environmental, cultural and social values. It is our pathway to self-reliance using the circular economy principles of reducing waste, valuing waste as a resource and protecting the environment and human health. I do understand and respect people who have genuine concerns around hydrocarbons, fossil fuels and climate change, which is why I support Santos in developing carbon capture and storage using the Deplete Bay Landan field. Likewise, Sun Cable's flagship Australia-Asia Power Link will help both the Commonwealth and Territory Governments reach climate change targets. These are all, all these projects are worthy of our support and our belief. The Chief Minister, Eva Lawler, who gave her year-ahead speech just a short time ago. I stand to be corrected, but I think in that entire speech, agriculture was not mentioned once. G'day, I'm Bill West. I've uh, been skippering trawlers in the NPF for 43 years, and you're listening to The Country Hour. Not even mangoes was mentioned. Normally the politicians love talking about the mangoes anyway. It's a six to one here on the Country Hour. About 4,000 kids from remote Australia rely on boarding schools to finish their education. But unfortunately for bush families, boarding fees are on the rise. They are on the up big time. The federal government has offered a new scholarship to help, but only for a fraction of students from remote parts of the nation. Steve Schubert reports from Lemina Station near the SANT border. This is the last leg of a long trip for 13-year-old Steve Fennell. He's just had an almost 900-kilometre bus ride from boarding school and is now being driven up his family's 64-kilometre-long driveway off the Udundatta track to their home at Lamina Station in South Australia's far north. Starting at boarding school, it's a very different change from going from living on a station to living like more in the city. There's lots of new people like... Sport, I've never played sport until this year. It was very big. While the tuition fees at his regional Catholic school are modest, Steve's mother Gillian says the cost of boarding has grown significantly. It's a massive financial pressure um, because apart from the school fees, you've also got the associated costs of the travel, which is extensive. The kids' boarding school is 900 kilometres away and it's not in a major centre, so we can't fly the kids back and forth. We have to drive there and pick them up and bring them home again um, at the start and end of every term. Then you have other things like uniforms and, and sporting equipment and all these sorts of things that you're happy to pay for because it's, you, you want to give your kids the best opportunity that you can in life. And on top of the school fees, paying all these extra things, it, it's, it's a real struggle sometimes. Data collected by the Isolated Children's Parents Association shows the average cost of boarding school has been growing over the last decade. 19% in New South Wales, 22 in Queensland, 18 in Western Australia and 74% in the Northern Territory. To help, the federal government provides an allowance called Assistance for Isolated Children. To be eligible, families must live more than 56 kilometres from their nearest government school. The allowance increases in line with inflation. This year it's worth almost $10,000, but it hasn't kept up with the rapid raise in boarding costs. 
When it was introduced in 1975, it covered 55% of average boarding costs. In 2015, that slipped to between 39 and 55%, depending on the state, but now it covers between 33 and 44% of average boarding fees. The Isolated Children's Parents Association says the average out-of-pocket costs for remote families is now $20,000 every year for every kid in boarding school. Here's Gillian Fennell again. But we live in Australia and everyone here is entitled to a decent education regardless of where they live. And it's, we're not asking for a, a full free ride to an exclusive inner Sydney boys school or anything like that. We're just asking for support to help us send our kids to boarding school. We're more than prepared to pay for it. But the assistance offered by the government hasn't kept pace with inflation or cost increases or anything like that. As well as Steve, the family have an elder son who finished school last year. Their youngest is daughter Eleanor. She still attends School of the Air, learning remotely from home. She'll start boarding in four years. I do want to go to boarding school so I can meet new people. Most of them will be my age. It feels a little bit scary as well. To help, the federal government has introduced a new scholarship worth up to $20,000 a year. But there's only 100 of them, 30 of which are specifically for Indigenous kids from the Kimberley and Cape York. 4,000 children from remote Australia rely on boarding schools. And for kids like Steve Fennell, there were only 70 scholarships available. He applied, but missed out. I don't necessarily think it's quite fair how they're only given out 70, because there's heaps of bush kids that might want it and might need it a lot more than me and other people that might have gotten it. But they just didn't get it. The Isolated Children's Parents Association wants an increase to the boarding allowance that all eligible students can access, which they say would cost $16 million a year. In a statement, Assistant Minister for Education Anthony Chisholm said there were 353 applications for the scholarship program, which is in its pilot phase. He said the government will consider additional places in future years. Steve Schubert with that report. The Weather Bureau has issued an initial flood watch for western top-end rivers. Catchments likely to be affected by this include the Mary River, the Upper Adelaide River, the Finnis, the Lower Daly River, the Catherine River, the Moyle, Wildman and Waterhouse River. We will be speaking to the Weather Bureau in five minutes' time because there's a lot happening right now and I'm intrigued to learn more about this low that's heading towards the Gulf of Carpentaria. Hi, my name is Trent McDonald and I'm from Arena Station. Hi, my name is Wynn. I am William Tutu and I'm from Kicks in the Park. Hi, my name is Wynn and we live out of town. We are listening to the Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. Did you watch... Muster Dogs last night. The season finale was on. The top prize this year taken out by the border collie named Buddy. And of course, Buddy's trainer was Zoe Miller from the Territory. My hope is more and more people want to go out and learn to work stock with dogs and be kind to their animals and continue their love for them. That's, that's what we're about in the rural industry. Yeah, well done to Zoe, well done to Buddy. You'll hear more from them before 1.30. Let's go to the Weather Bureau. There's lots going on. 
Rebecca Patrick is there this afternoon. Uh, Beck, you've got the rainfall totals for the weekend just gone. What are some of the biggest ones there? Yeah, good afternoon, Matt. Um, we've had a fair amount of rainfall around the Darwin area in particular over the weekend. Um, majority of that falling overnight um, and this morning, uh, but the highest uh, there um, Nightcliff Pool with 271 millimetres over those three days, but there's yeah few locations over 200 millimetres. Um, more broadly, over the Darwin um, Daily District, um, a few falls over 100 millimetres there as well. Fish River with 166. Um, and also uh, the Victoria River District, we've had some um, some good falls there. Uh, East Baines River with 173 millimetres, um, Coolabar with 125, and, and again, uh, majority of that falling over the last 24 hours. Gee, um, we are hoping to speak to Christina at Coolabar in just a moment, actually. Um, that Vic River on the rise again. I see, according to the um, the Bureau's page. And we were mentioning a moment ago, Beck, uh, the Bureau has now issued this initial flood watch for for large parts of the top end, really. Yeah, that's right. So we have had the monsoon develop um, now across the, the top end. So we are seeing some... Um, pretty widespread rainfall, uh, particularly the western parts of the top end. Um, so yes, we did issue that flood watch um, with the chance that we could see some some rises of, of uh, some of those rivers in the area um, and as well we could expect just some general uh, water over the, the roads and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, be, be uh, aware of that if you're um, getting out and about across the top end. As we go to air, there's just a big blob of moisture stuck on the on the northwest corner of the territory, and um, I assume it's going to be a bit like that for a while. Yeah, that's right. Um, so today, tomorrow, and into Wednesday, um, looking like we're going to have that fairly good uh, northwesterly monsoon flow across the top end. Um, we are expecting a low pressure system to develop within the, the monsoon trough um, over the next couple of days, and then uh, generally track eastwards towards the the Gulf of Carpentaria mm. um, from midweek. Um, so as that moves east, that'll take that um, that concentration of the weather away from the western top end later in the week so we might see a bit of an easing then um, but then obviously the focus will be further east. Yes and uh, certainly um, a few questions here to the country how it's all focused on the potential for a cyclone in the Gulf later in the week or in the weekend. What can you tell them? Yeah, that's right. So um, it all hinges on how long it spends over water in the Gulf of Carpentaria. So um, we do currently forecast there's a low chance of cyclone developing from Wednesday and then that increases to a moderate chance from late on Thursday and into the weekend. Um, so yeah, if you are in those Gulf of Carpentaria communities, uh, do stay um aware of the latest forecast because they may change as we move closer to that time. Because some of those cattle stations and communities, especially on the Queensland side of, of the Gulf, I mean, they've already had, you know, water through communities and, and rivers busting their banks. So there's potentially a lot more on, on its way. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, monsoon over the um, the the Cape as well will be developing, so increasing rainfall for Queensland communities, um, and we'll just have to see uh, exactly where that that low or cyclone. Um, goes uh, later in the week as to which areas will be most impacted by um, the potential heavy rainfall and strong winds um, and also those tides and, and surf conditions yeah. will be affected as well. Ooh, okay, we wait and see, we wait and see. What about Central Australia this week? What can you tell people? Yes, yeah, so at the moment we do have those showers and storms extending right throughout the Territory, um, already seeing some storms firing up through the Lassiter District and Simpson District as well. Um, so yeah, today those showers and storms expected um, throughout the remainder of the afternoon and into the evening. Uh, from tomorrow we do have a ridge starting to build across the south so we'll start to see a bit of contraction of those showers and storms northwards um, but expect it to continue through those central parts so through the Barclay and, and Tanami, um, uh probably easing from the Tanami from about Thursday. Okay, we're about to go to Cooley Bar Station. Uh, just quickly back a few questions from our audience. Uh, well the one from Sprinkles, more of a statement. Can you tell the Bureau... Uh, we'd love to get a rain gauge out here. So this is Sprinkles at Bino. Bino's requesting an official rain gauge. And a message here from Anna says, Matt, can you ask about rain going as far south of the Plenty Highway? We would love some rain to fill some dams, says Anna. Yeah, I'd say there could be some storms around um, around there today. Um so, yeah, I'm not sure if that will go enough to, to fill some dams, but, um, yeah, certainly some rainfall in that general area. Oh, yeah, I'm just looking at the Alice Springs radar now and scattered, scattered cloud and a bit of moisture about. And I guess, depending on what that low in the Gulf does, who knows? Yeah, there is a chance that um, next weekend we could see a bit more coming um, through the Territory if that starts moving back towards the west. So that's a, another possibility to highlight for, for next weekend. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time. Lots going on. No worries. Thanks, Matt. That is Rebecca Patrick there at the Weather Bureau and just repeating some of the top rainfall figures up to 9 o'clock this morning. The Darwin Airport's recorded 165 millimetres and in the VRD, 155 at East Baines. Cooley Bar, 111 up to... Nine o'clock this morning. Christina Jones is at Cooley Bar this afternoon. Is it still raining there, Christina? No, it's not raining now. It's um, overcast. The sun gets through every now and again, but there's a lot of cloud around still. So yeah. t tell us about your last 24, 48 hours of rain. Uh, well, it was sort of a probably all came down in about two or two hours, I think, last night. It just started bucketing down, and that was um, I knew. There was going to be a lot of rain and some out to the rain gauge this morning and, yeah, it was 109 mil we had wow. um, last night. Yeah, it was pretty heavy. Uh, a lot of lightning too there, um, which was surprising, but, yeah, came through and I'm happy to send some down to Anna south of the Plenty Highway if she needs it. Fill her dams. Uh, do you know what you've had since October? What's, what's the wet season? <laughs> Just no, a lot. Like metres, yeah, it's been metres. Yeah, I couldn't get to the rain gauge and I'd gone away to get, uh, my son was in hospital for a minute there and, um, yeah, so I sort of lost track of it. But when it gets to that much, you sort of stop counting anyway. <laughs> What's the Vic River looking like this afternoon? 
Well, it's risen two metres overnight. Um, it's falling at the moment, but upstream, I see the Dashwood, um, the river at Vic River is still rising. Um, and I think possibly Kalkaringi might be steady, I think. Um, but yeah, it, there's still a bit of water to come down, but it's not threatening at the moment. It'll, if it, you know, eases up a bit, but, um, yeah, it's concerning though, because February is our west, wettest month usually. And, you know, we get rain up until March, April as well. So sort of new in January that we, um, probably weren't over for the flooding. Because how did you and the, and the homestead area fare the other day when, the waters were so high just downstream there at Timber Creek. Uh, yeah, we got a lot of water here. Um, it was about three metres from the house. There was barely enough room to land a helicopter at one stage there. It was actually pretty terrifying because we had a lot of animals around the house as well as out in the paddocks, which um, we haven't accounted for all of them yet. But, um, yeah, it was coming at us and it was, it was a fair flow here, mm-hmm. that's for sure. Okay, and the Vic up by another two metres at your place today. We really appreciate the sort of intel from that part of the river, Christina. Yeah, no worries at all. Hope you get some blue skies. Yeah, thank you very much. (laughs) Thanks for your time. (laughs) Okay. Cheers. That's uh, Christina Jones. She's out at Cooley Bar Cattle Station this afternoon having a big, big wet season. And we got a text from Anna a moment ago. I'm not too sure what part of the Plenty Highway Anna's on, but uh, they're... Desperate for some rain down that way and uh, not alone. A lot of cattle stations in Central Australia that uh, have barely received a drop this year. A Lambie station, so it's to the southeast of Alice Springs. The manager there is Paddy Weir. She says it's been a very dry and extremely hot start to 2024. Since January this year, uh, we've only had three mils of rain, which is very disappointing considering um, some places, you know, uh, from Tennant Creek area north have had between 400 and 900 millimetres. Uh, we had an average season last year and our last decent rain was November last year. So that's a fair while ago. What is that making it look like on the ground? So there's still we've still got grass um, on the ground, but it's very dry, and um, we're really hoping. I mean, here, you know, it can rain any time really. So we're just really hoping uh, that we'll end up with some rain at some point. Is it meaning that you're considering selling more cattle or getting hay trucked in, or, or what's it meaning for how you're operating? Yeah, no, it's we're fine at the moment because yeah, there's dry grass, um, there's plenty of uh, bushes and things that the cattle graze on. Um, yes, it's dry, but it's we've still got ground cover. Um, we fortunately dodged a lot of the um, bushfires. Uh, we had one paddock burnt on a Lambie, and um, that's about it. A lot of the fires. Um, have been sort of around us. So it's not that we haven't been doing fire mitigation, but it's just um, we were lucky not to lose grass like other properties did in the in the, some of those big fires at the end of last year. 
how has the summer sort of set you up and put you, what path are you going on for the year ahead? Well, at the moment, you know, summer's kind of like a holding pattern in that you're just uh, monitoring your bores and making sure the cattle are watered and fixing what you can, obviously, in the heat of the day. Like once it's after lunch, sometimes it's just too hot to do anything. It's probably too hot to touch anything. So normally we would start cattle work in March. Um, the, the When we start varies, but we usually started cattle work by late March. So, yeah, just really hoping that we are able to get some rain before then. Um, yeah, so we'll just see how it pans out. Yeah, fingers crossed for you. Thank you. The other thing with this summer, of course, was the biggest uh, The biggest worry was bushfires. Like my, my husband and um, my son were out um, grading like two days before Christmas because there was a fire um, on Santa Teresa nearby. So that was the biggest worry um, really over the summer. Let's hope, um, yeah, that everyone gets a rain and then that's not such a big worry. That is Paddy Weir from Alambie Station speaking to Victoria Ellis. The Territory is a big place, isn't it? Flooding in the top end. Meanwhile, in the southern end of the Territory, it's hot, it's dry, and there are concerns about bushfires. Tony Fuller, he is from Bushfires NT, and says even though there were millions of hectares burnt last year in the Territory, he says there's still a lot of country south of Tennant Creek that has a lot of fuel load and the fire threat is building. Uh, we've had a couple of fires in the last few days. Uh, it, it's still pretty hot um, and the grass, I'm getting reports from staff down there that it, it's curing pretty quickly. And we're, we're a bit concerned about that. Are there any regions in particular that you are concerned about? Uh, look, uh, basically south of Tennant Creek um, is is of concern. There is a lot of areas that were burnt last year that uh, we've got some uh, photographs of when the fires went through and, and the fuel that's come back now. And yes, the fuel loads won't be as significant, but there is still a lot of fuel there that will carry fire. So... A lot of the mitigation work we did in and around Alice Springs, for example, uh, those areas are now will carry fire and they won't provide the buffer that we had hoped that they would, um, not having regrowth. But the regrowth is there. Um, we have had some good good uh, opportunities over the Christmas time. We've had a loader operator working in and around uh, Alice Springs and uh, trying to put in some lines, uh, control lines around there. And I think he's done up to about 500 kilometres of control lines and, um, you know, tightened up a lot of, put some brakes in that will really help us if uh, we do get some fire down there. Are you planning on doing any more controlled burns over the next few weeks or months? Look, we're already starting burning in the top end. Uh, we did a burn this week, wet season burn, um, and I know that there is some activity in and around Catherine at the moment. Uh, some of the, the major land holes in that area are starting to put fire to ground to do some wet season burns. Um, but around Alice Springs, a bit hard at the moment, given the, uh, the winds down there, that it's uh, pretty, pretty dangerous to be putting fire to ground at this time of the year. Do you think overall it's going to be a better or worse year than last year's fires? 
Look, Central Australia, um, the fuel loads are still pretty significant down there. And like I said, the, the regrowth's come through. And in and around Tennant Creek, you know, we've had some really big rains, so the fuel loads will be there. So, you know, we have to wait and see if the fires will occur this summer. But if not, or in the next month or two, if not, uh, we, we ex- fully expect that we'll be back down there in August, um, September time to, you know, hopefully not have the same level of uh, fires as we did with uh, the Barkley fire and the Tanami fires, but that's yeah, still something that we'll have to consider given the amount of fuel and the amount of rain that those areas have uh, had in the last couple of months. That's Tony Fuller from Bushfires NT speaking to Victoria Ellis. It is 22 past one. You are tuned into the Country Hour, season two of Muster Dogs on the ABC. It wrapped up last night. The winner will be on your radio next. Moving nice and slow, moving nice and slow. Whoa, bullocks, whoa there, you bullocks. The season finale of ABC TV's Muster Dogs program. It was on last night, and this year's winner was the Border Collie called Buddy and his trainer, Zoe Miller, from Catherine in the Territory. We have this amazing litter of young dogs, and one particularly has risen to the occasion by a very close call to become the champion Muster Dog. And that team is Zoe with Buddy. Well done. Well done. A great credit to you, Zoe. The judges have unanimously decided that Buddy is this year's champion muster dog. It was a tight race, but these two demonstrated the most consistent working ability across the three tasks while showing everyone just how unshakable their bond has become. It's a huge result for them both, coming into the finale as the underdog to become the champion muster dog. Yeah, well done to Zoe and Buddy. The two of them were on ABC News 24 this morning speaking to Lisa Miller. Tell me, how does it feel for you? Is there a sense of relief that we can now finally talk about this? Because I know your granddad was worried about accidentally spilling the beans. Yes, he's, he's been worried the whole way through. We tried to explain to him about ABC iView and that it was okay. Uh, <laughs> and he, he still didn't quite grasp that. And um, so he's, the whole way he's been just, I, th- I, think it's, I think it'll be a relief for him actually, more than me. Listen, a lot of people were contacting me very worried about Buddy during the episodes because he got very sick and he was allergic to his food. He was throwing up all the time. There was, at one point, we were worried Buddy might actually die. Yeah, it was um, It was a really challenging period. There was a lot happening there and it was super stressful. Um, he was in and out of the vets. He'd come back home and I would think I was on top of it and that he was um, climbing again in his health and then it would be a revisit back to the vets. Uh, and he got extremely skinny. And uh, it's a worry once they, once they drop down to that, even just battling the heat and everything up there to get him back to weight. Um, it was it was it was tough. Yeah, a great series this time round again. Uh, three women, you and Lily and Scylla, and so many people just thrilled to see 
young women there on screen. There'll be a lot of them watching this morning, actually, Zoe. Did you get that same kind of feedback? Have you got a message for them this morning? Yeah, I've had, um, it's been a really positive feedback experience um, and I'm really thankful to that. A lot of people reaching out with really kind words. So to all those watching, thank you. Um, you know, I stepped into this uh, as a participant um, to be able to promote the ag industry and, and our love for animals and what we do and good stockmanship and um, to be able to portray that. And i just like to say, I think, you know, I feel very humbled that, uh, you know, of, of there is so many amazing women in the in in any industry, um, and and just not even just women, but a lot of good stockmen. Um, and so I feel very humbled to be able to be one of those people to demonstrate that uh, to audiences. Really, Zoe Miller from Catherine in the Territory, her dog Buddy, winner of season two of Mustard Dogs on ABC TV. And, of course, if you missed it last night, you can catch the season finale via ABC iView. Another wonderful program that was on the ABC yesterday. If you missed it, Landline, back for its 33rd season. It's first episode of the year. It was yesterday. So, again, if you missed it, it's on ABC iView. Go and enjoy that and keep it rural. <laughs>